Welcome to Radio Free Georgia's In Tune to Nature program. I'm host Carrie Freeman coming to you from Atlanta in July of 2020. And today we're going to be talking about systemic racism in the food system, particularly in factory farming, but also in some plant crop farming, and what changes should be made by government, industry, and consumers. We'll be speaking with Lauren Ornelas, a vegan food justice advocate, founder of Food Empowerment Project based in California. The mission of Food Empowerment Project is to create a more just and sustainable world by recognizing the power of one's food choices. We encourage healthy food choices that reflect a more compassionate society by spotlighting the abuses of animals on farms, the depletion of natural resources, unfair working conditions for produce workers, and the unavailability of healthy foods in low-income areas. In all of their work, Food Empowerment Project seeks specifically to empower those with the fewest resources. Their website is foodispower.org. They are a vegan food justice organization and a registered nonprofit founded in 2007 by Lauren Ornelas, who still serves as president. She's also our guest, so let me tell you about her. Lauren has been active in the animal rights movement for more than 30 years, and I myself have enjoyed hearing her speak multiple times at animal rights conferences. She also has a TED Talk on food issues. She's the former executive director of Viva USA, a national nonprofit vegan advocacy organization. And while there, she investigated factory farms and ran consumer campaigns. In cooperation with activists across the country, she persuaded Trader Joe's to stop selling all duck meat. And she achieved corporate changes within Whole Foods Market, Pier One, Imports, and others. She also helped halt the construction of an industrial dairy operation in California. In addition, she served as campaign director with the Silicon Valley Toxics Coalition for six years. Welcome, Lauren. Thank you for having me. Well, your vegan organization is known for taking on race and class, food justice issues, human rights issues. So I wanted to have you on the show and, and start first by asking you, what are the latest issues you see, especially during the pandemic, where the agricultural industry policies and practices are putting black and brown people at greater risk? I think that when you look at pretty much everybody who's been deemed essential workers in the food industry, um, they're putting black and brown people at risk. Mm. You have farm workers, produce workers, who because they're paid low wages, suffer from wage theft and other issues, um, make very little money. So they are living maybe 16 to a one bedroom. They're living in cramped conditions. Uh, they are traveling to work in cramped conditions, maybe a few um, in a car or a van or taking public transportation. So you have an increase of COVID-19 um, diagnosis in these communities. You also have, you know, slaughterhouse workers who have seen a lot in the news about how they are also now deemed not only essential workers, but workers that are being forced to work right now. Um, so they too are dealing with low wages and it sounds as if a lot of them aren't being given the six feet of distance, which people are supposed to be given right now in order to remain safe. So if you want to add on more than that, um, you have also that people are not being able to access healthy food. So in general, people are having a difficult time accessing food. But when you look at black and brown and indigenous communities, you have the added issue of the fact that they're already being dealt with other forms of injustices, rather it be environmental racism in their communities, stressors in their life because of racism, 
You're dealing with the fact that many don't have health care because they're working full-time jobs that don't provide this to them. Mm. And they're also still forced to work in industries such as grocery store workers or fast food workers. So again, the reason why they're working is because they're not being paid enough to be able to take time off like other workers are. So you really have mm. a culmination here of many people, black and brown and indigenous people, who are being more severely impacted by COVID-19. Right. You did a good job of, of talking about all the ways that things intersect to create uh, greater stressors and problems on the job, but also in personal lives related to cramped living conditions for agricultural workers where they can't separate safely from those who might also have a virus, um, as well as not being able to build up immunity by having healthy foods and proper health care. Exactly. And I think that some, what some people are, I hope um, that some people have learned from their personal experience from more privileged backgrounds is what it's like to go to a grocery store and not be able to buy the food that you want because it's simply not available. And yeah. that's something that black and brown and indigenous communities live with pandemic or not. Right. That's a good analogy for, for what's happening. And I was going to also ask you in general, what environmental racism issues do you think are most prominent, even before the pandemic, just kind of chronic issues facing communities in terms of agribusiness and how it affects uh, black and brown communities? I think that, you know, these communities are victims of environmental racism, which is going to be any types of negative pollutants impacting black and brown and indigenous communities more than whiter and more affluent areas. And when we look more specifically, we do have animal farms contributing to this. And North Carolina, not far from you, right. we have a lot of pigs who are raised and killed for food every year. And I, I've investigated pig farms in North Carolina, and the stench is unbelievably toxic. Um, my clothes reeked of it. My hair's reeked of it. Dozens of showers would just barely get it out. Um, but this is where a lot of Black, Brown, and Indigenous communities are living. And so mm. they are dealing with living next to these facilities. Again, it's horrible for the pigs, but it also is difficult for the people who live there because they are dealing with things like respiratory issues, nosebleeds, headaches, not being able to open their windows oh. in the summertime. Their property values are worthless. Yes. So, oh. you know, they're dealing with that. And here in California, where we're based, it's a similar situation where we have the dairy industry um, small farms or large farms, it doesn't really matter. One dairy cow produces about 120 pounds of wet manure a day. So when you have some farms that have 200 cows to 1,000 to 5,000 cows, you have a problem with environmental racism because the majority of these farms are located in the Central Valley in California, where predominantly the Latinx community is living. So mm -hmm. they have some of the highest rates of asthma oh. in these animal farms. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's awful. And then the conditions also in slaughterhouses in general, because uh, I also, it seems that a lot of slaughterhouse employees and agricultural workers are people of color and they may be immigrants as well. And so that create, they don't even have as many rights to speak up about any kind of safety issues that they're facing in these slaughterhouses or out um, in agricultural fields as well. Exactly. And in slaughterhouses, if they start to speak up about their safety, or if even they start to talk about hygienic issues, 
they can be threatened with deportation and losing their jobs. So they're less inclined to speak out. Some of these facilities also reward when nobody complains about anything. So one of the places I've been to, they had a sign up that said, you know, if there are no complaints or anything, you know, we'll have a barbecue this month. You know, so they're actually rewarded for not speaking out. But the interesting mm -hmm. thing is there was a case where the workers who all spoke Spanish were being treated differently in a slaughterhouse than any of the other workers. They weren't allowed to go on breaks. They weren't being treated very well. They couldn't go to the bathroom. Um, so in the complaint that they actually filed, um, not only did they talk about what was happening to them, but they also talked about the pigs and how they were concerned about the treatment of the pigs. So again, we have this connection being made that you know people are recognizing the injustices to them, but they're also wanting to speak out and, and talking about what's happening to the animals as well. Right, I, a lot of times these businesses, they're just concerned about the bottom line, and so they're exploiting anyone they can. Um, and you know, non-human animals have the least amount of rights, and so, um, but then many human groups also don't have the full human rights that they're entitled to. And so they get exploited by these same businesses. So in general, it's just very ugly. And, and yeah. that, oh, go ahead. So slaughterhouses are not made for anybody to survive, right? Uh, right. I mean, they're not really, awful. they're definitely not made for the non-human animals to survive, but the people who work there as well, they're just seen as replaceable, just like the non-human animals are. And so these, you know, all they care about is making money. They don't really care what happens to anybody inside of those facilities. So yeah, that's really I mean, a house of horrors. Yeah. Ugh. That's awful. Um, I was, and that leads to a, a question since we've talked about a lot of the problems to think about some of the solutions, what safety and human rights legal protections should be put in place to combat these discriminatory practices within agribusiness and create more uh, race and class equity and well-being? I think when we talk about wanting to create equity in total, I think we're looking about living wages. Okay. That people are going to be paid what they're worth and not, you know, trying to undermine how much labor is paid mm. in order for the shareholders or the CEO to make more money that year. But the more people have equity, the more people are making living wages, then they have more strength. They have, if we can get them more benefits. So I think that what needs to happen is everybody needs to support living wages to create some equity. And we also need to speak out more against these injustices that are taking place, human or non-human animals. Yeah. And the, you mentioned benefits too, because healthcare is something that people need, especially while slaughterhouses in general are actually dangerous places to work. But I imagine working out if you're also in the um, a field or a crop environment and you're picking out in the hot sun, there's also a lot of issues, health, you know, where you need health care, but you, you know, you're not getting it from your employer. Yep. And there, and farm workers are exposed to agricultural chemicals as yes. well. And so they're out in the hot sun, they're, you know, working in a hundred degree heat, Oh. Um, many of them collapse. In fact, a farm worker in Georgia died a couple years ago oh. from being outside in the extreme heat. And again, we're consistently going to be talking about people who aren't eating well because they're not being paid enough in order to buy healthier foods. They don't have access to the healthier foods because of this. They don't have health insurance. And again, stresses of, you know, constantly worrying about themselves, their children. How am I going to keep a roof over our heads for those that actually have a roof over? 
Are there also some things we should be asking for since a lot of the farm workers are immigrants and so they are more easily exploited and they seem to have less rights and again they're not necessarily paid a living wage or somehow they seem to be exempt from some of the work of the rights that workers would have if they were citizens or at least it appears that way? Yeah, I think, you know, it goes a long way for people to support any type of legislation that's going on, but also to really support those boycotts called by farm workers themselves. Yeah. So the Coalition of Immokalee Workers down in Florida, Florida have asked for people to boycott Publix, which I know is in Georgia. Yeah, we have. Uh, as well as Wendy's, because they refuse to pay the farm workers one more penny per pound for the tomatoes that they pick. The San Quintin farm workers in Mexico are asking people to boycott Driscoll's Berries. So these are the issues that we know of right now that farm workers themselves are saying, please boycott these companies until they start treating us better. And that's where we have a lot of power. You know, again, it's one thing for us to individually not support these, which is great, but we also have to speak up and use our collective voices to try and make a difference and tell Wendy's and tell Publix why we're not going to be buying anything from there. Absolutely. Well, if you're just joining us on Radio Free Georgia, this is In Tune to Nature, and I'm host Carrie Freeman interviewing Lauren Ornelas, longtime food justice activist and founder and president of Food Empowerment Project. We're talking about improvements that need to be made to food and agricultural systems to eliminate race um, and class, racist and uh, anti-class or, or policies. I'm not really, <laughs> I messed that one up, but policies that are unfair to humans and different kind of practices that lead to inequities. And my next question, really, you, you were leading into it, Lauren, because I was wondering what we can do as consumers and citizens, and you're starting to talk about different kinds of boycotts that we can do to speak up, or maybe it's also what, you know, in terms of what products we should buy and what should we stay away from. Yeah, I think it's important for us to make sure that, you know, we eat our ethics, rather that be not wanting to cause harm to non-human animals, and you, if you have access to healthy foods, going vegan, but also yeah. making sure that the other products that we buy also aren't supporting any type of, or doing our best, I should say, to not support any other industries that cause harm. Um, with produce, it's difficult. We all need it, right? Unless yeah. you grow your own food, you're, you have a farm worker to thank for what you're eating. So it's really important that we do our best to honor those boycotts called by farm workers and make sure that the companies that are, that are not treating them fairly, hear from us and know why. But also it goes beyond that. It goes also looking at the coffee we drink, the bananas we buy, the wine we drink, um, the chocolate we eat, that we look at all of these issues and, and recognize that we have an opportunity to help create change in this world, positive change, by looking at our food choices as a responsibility to help make the world a better place. And your website, foodispower.org, also has a lot of sections that cover many human rights violations for workers across many types of agricultural industries, even exposing what amounts to slave labor. Uh, what You mentioned some of these food product products, but what food products do consumers most have to be vigilant about to avoid financially supporting slave labor conditions specifically? I would say chocolate is definitely one. Okay. Um, the vast majority of chocolate or cacao comes from Western Africa, where the worst forms of child labor and slavery are incredibly prevalent. And um, this is now taking place in Brazil as well. Um, we've created a list of chocolates that we do and don't recommend based on where they're sourcing their cacao from. And as a vegan group, every company has to make at least one vegan chocolate to make our list. 
Um, we update this list every month and it's available on our website as well as a free app that people can download on their mm -hmm. iPhone or on their Android. And because um, chocolate is just, it's a very prevalent situation. Unfortunately, you know, a lot of the slavery that we've seen has also been in the, um, in the food, in the produce industry, right, right. there in Immokalee, Florida. So some of these issues are, you know, being dealt with, but there's still, still some issues where people are in these industries and they're having their passports taken away from them. So they can't move freely around the country. Essentially, they're slaves. Um, but we do have information on our website about these issues, as well as a suggestion of what foods that people can, um, that we feel comfortable people buying from. And, and also you mentioned on your website, the, it's good actually to buy organic if you can afford it because you're not, it's a lot of times people think of organic just for themselves, like, oh, well, that's healthier for me. But there's so many other individuals in the world who are affected. <laughs> by chemicals that are put out there, not just those who ingest the final product. Exactly, and I think it's a way for us as vegans to clearly understand that. We know that if somebody says, I'm buying organic milk, we know that doesn't necessarily mean the cows are treated any better, right. or the babies get to stay with their moms. It's the same thing with looking at organic produce. It doesn't mean that the workers were treated any better, it just means there's no agricultural chemicals in it. So it's definitely better for them not to be doused with agricultural chemicals, yes. But, you know, we just still need to be aware of what's happening. And we do have on our website a list of 15 tips for people um, to try and eat more ethically. And that is at foodispower.org. Um, yeah. And some, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned, oh, uh, getting back to the fact that you mentioned the Immokalee workers um, and in Florida, because when we think of um, enslavement of humans, we think, oh, well, that must be happening in other countries. But on your website, and you'll see sometimes in the news that human trafficking happens in the United States to farm workers a lot. It, Who are exactly. the most vulnerable to that? Well, I think that um, anybody who is an, a, an immigrant who's undocumented is going to be vulnerable to that, especially children as well. We yeah. always want to point the finger at other countries when we talk about child labor or slavery. And you know, just down in Florida, there were workers who were chained in an 18-wheeler, oh, literally chained, and yeah. only let out when they worked. Child, having child farm workers is, is nothing that, that's unusual here. In fact, any time that there's been try attempts to change the law to make sure that children are covered and, and are not going to be used in agriculture, it's always fought. They always fight mm -hmm. and we always lose. So they count on a loophole in the law that allows children to work for their parents who own the farms. But we know that's not typically what's happening in these industrial-sized fields. Wow. So even children, uh, especially immigrant children, um, could be exploited in slave-like conditions here in the United States. That's right. awful. And you're, the foodispower.org website that you have has so many different sections on this. I, so I think that people um, would really benefit from checking that out. Well, to wrap up, Lauren, if listeners are interested in getting involved with um, anti-racism advocacy efforts to, and human rights efforts to reform the food system, what actions or resources would you recommend? I think that if people are living in communities where they see themselves a lack of access to healthy foods, I think trying to reach out and work in the local community that's working on that issue. I think finding any local farm worker organizations and seeing how it is that you can help. 
Um, we certainly love to have more volunteers as well. Um, but I think that, you know, working locally is always the key, but we're always happy to have volunteers and always happy to refer people. If people have money to donate, you know, I think that a lot of the farm worker justice organizations, if they're like ours, have been, you know, stretched a bit. Mm. Um, we raised $10,000 to give food and masks to farm workers living in our area. Um, and we're just starting our school supply drive for the children of farm workers this year. So a lot of, you know, different groups will have campaigns and efforts that they're doing to help farm workers. Yeah, that's, I like those local programs uh, that, that you have through the Food Empowerment Project. Well, that's the end of our show, Lauren. I want to thank you for being with us on Radio Free Georgia's In Tune to Nature program. And thank you also for the pioneering work that you do with the Food Empowerment Project to ensure that veganism and farming systems in general are ethical, not just for non-human animals, but for all humans as well. Thank you so much for wanting to, to talk about these other issues as well. Yeah, well, take care. And you to our lit. And to our listeners, thank you for tuning in to In Tune to Nature, broadcasting every Wednesday at 6.30 p.m. Eastern Time, online at wrfg.org and on Atlanta radio station 89.3 FM. We post action items, news, and podcasts on the show's website, facebook.com, slash to nature. As a disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed on this show do not necessarily reflect those of Radio Free Georgia. I'm host Carrie Freeman asking you to please support independent non-commercial media like Radio Free Georgia by donating at wrfg.org. Thanks for listening and remember to take care of yourselves and others, including other species. <laughs>